Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, we are speaking with a brilliant artist and one of our more recent Illustrators of Future judges. Welcome, Craig Elliott. Hi, John. Thank you so much. Interestingly enough, our um, this podcast is a finalist in the um, the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Yeah, that's in our so category. Cool. So that's good. So even if I mean, I was surprised to get to this far in it. So there, what it is, they've got over um, eight hundred entries and in twenty different categories, and over five hundred thousand people wow. um, voted. So that's it's awesome. it's intense. Yeah. So to yeah. be in that category, that that in itself is like way cool. <laughs> I'm already just like over the moon with that. So the whole purpose of the contest is to um, provide that helping hand for aspiring, in this case, artists. Now, how familiar are you in anything with, uh, about Hubbard, his essays that he wrote on art, just the concept of the contest that he continues? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly am aware of that, and I'm aware of, like, his career and, you know, his contributions to sci-fi and, uh, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit more about Frazetta's involvement with it and kind of how he was part of starting that. So it was it's in this, we got this book here that was put together um, uh, several years ago, and it's got a really, really nice article by uh, Frank Kelly Fries about um, Hubbard being one of the only authors, writers in New York, who um, would take time out to talk to the illustrators. He talked right. to them, because he said back then, you know, the, the writers were very aloof and they were like in their own little clique and they didn't, you know, you're just an illustrator. And he was, he was so not that perspective. And well, it's, it's clear that, that that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I sort of see him as a kind of a parallel, uh, you know, to George Lucas that he, for some reason, they both have this, the, you know, additional and parallel interest in art that really has made a big difference um, in their work. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to see that there's, there's not that many writer, creator types that, that also are visual mm -hmm. uh, and maybe vice versa, I don't know. Uh. <laughs> there's a, it's interesting you mentioned that. In, um, in the first Star Wars, there's that scene in the, the bar scene where, where Luke Skywalker meets Han Solo to secure right. the trip to get off the planet. Right. And it's almost word for word a scene that's in um, a story that Owen Hubbard uh, wrote called The Kingslayer or Seven Steps to the Arbiter. Uh, okay. And it was funny when I read of it, that's Star Wars. And then I realized earlier on, George Lucas said, yeah, he, he was inspired by a lot of Pulp Fiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. This is clear. Yeah. yeah and, you, you look at, uh, this kind of the um it's not so it's not such serious science fiction it's it's there's some fun in there and mm -hmm. even even um where's the lost ark is very pulpy like you know it, it like kind mandalorian of, right now currently mandalorian it's it's that yeah. same yes it's a western it's a science science right. Fiction western right and then, but it's got a little humor it doesn't take yeah. itself super seriously exactly. it, it, it's like it knows what it is yeah yeah it's it, interesting all these parallels between um that well it's like a you know if you started off with that taste then it, it's still part of what you do 
mm-hmm. you know, however Early long years later, yeah. you do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing about how he created the illustrator contest as part of the writer contest because of paying, you know, it's paying for it, but it's also the importance of that genre, you know, that it needs to continue. And as you see so much happening right now, in the 30s and 40s, when he was writing, you had, you know, it was called escapist fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, as you had, at least in America, you had the Depression, you just yeah. finished World War I, World War II was imminent, you know, because it was rumbling over in Europe already for several years before we entered. And half of America was out of work and they didn't know if they were going to be working next week or not. So they valued this type of, of fiction as a means of um, being able to, to get along. So um, that's really important too, even currently. And so a lot of people say, I just love it because it just, it just takes me to other places. And I just love the ride. And because Riders of the Future is PG, we don't right. get into the other stuff. It's, it's appropriate for middle school on up. And What's really amazing too is we saw it in this book here, this volume 36. Right. You know, the diversity. So there's all types of different art that wins. You know, it's not yeah. just, it has to be this style of, of art. Right. Now we're talking about art. So anybody can actually, if they're good, can win because that's the purpose of what we're doing here. So that's why I'm so excited that you're on board now as a judge because you add your own dimension to the contest because it's not in a matter of just like, okay, I want to do illustration, period. It's like illustration is a base for getting into all types of things. And we're going to talk about your specialty, you know, in a moment here. So how did you first become involved or find out about the Illustrators of the Future Contest? Wow. Um, I think I've known about it for most, well, before my actually before my official illustration career, um, you know, I was like in the early nineties or mid nineties, maybe I became aware of it. Um, and, uh, started buying the books, you know, as an artist, usually I buy the books for their covers and then it's discovered, discovering the wonderful stories inside and, and, you know, and also branching out and discovering, uh, Hubbard's work as well. And, I didn't, it was not something that I even ever thought of trying to enter, strangely enough, because I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, it's too good for me, sort of. But I, I you know, I, I see things differently now, being on the other side of it. Yeah. And I realized, wow, it really is for everyone. And, you know, there's there's such a wide range of, of entrance and styles. And, you know, and that's one of the cool things in seeing the art is that, there's stuff that I have never even thought of painting or ways I've never even thought of painting. You know, it's, it's almost, you know, it's a great art resource in and of itself because, you know, you, you're pulling from so many different countries and so many different styles. Uh, but yeah, I, I know I found out about it when I was at art center in like maybe 93 or four yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I started collecting uh, the books and, and then many years later, you guys, you know, I'm involved with you. So it's really a nice circle in that sense. Yeah. So you originally came and and spoke. It was like, was it Echo or Lazarus that brought you in to, to speak? And then the following right. year said, this guy rocks. We want him as a judge. And that's when the invitation went for that. But so that was, was it through Lazarus or Echo or both? 
Uh, Echo, well, I, I've known both of them kind of in parallel for because they, they had a booth uh, right by mine at Comic-Con for maybe 10 years of the 16 or 17 years that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've known them for a long time. And, you know, of course, you know, when you see somebody on a regular basis every year, um, not just that, but also at other conventions, um, you know, Spectrum, I think we've, we've met yeah. at that show and, and, um, I think they've come to Lightbox and, and then just other, you know, stuff in New York for illustration or they're always at everything. It feels like I'm always like chasing them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've known them for a long, and and Echo and I have a similar style and kind of artistic interest. Uh, um, so I think we have always kind of connected on that level, and that like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, I, I get you, you get me, like that's um, kind of nice. Uh, yeah, that, that's good. So, what's the significance for you of being a judge for the Illustrators of the Future? What's what does it do either for you, or do you feel like it does for the uh, industry? Wow. Um, it feels like, I mean, it's, it's such an honor, number one. And I think if I can get the word out there more, I mean, the, the people that know me know me because largely because they know my work in animation. And that's, that's a big area that I don't think that Illustrators of the Future has really reached out into yet. And and I think that each of these industries, including animation, has a tendency to kind of silo itself. They, you know, they feed off of themselves and they don't reach out into other areas and mm-hmm. cross over. Right. And I'm kind of one of those people that I'm like this, I'm a hub. I, I do everything. Like I have a shop in the back with a blacksmithing shop and, you know, metal machining and, you know, I, and I do sculpture and jewelry and, you know, I, I cross over into lots of different areas. And so I really get the value of um, cross-pollination. And, um, you know, if if animation people that know me find out about, you know, the contest and and even just all of the work of Hubbard and, and, and all the wonderful work that you guys do, um, and also vice versa that the people that are already hooked in with writers and illustrators of the future, you know, see what we do in animation through me. Um, because there's, you know, it's like, it's like a hallway Mm -hmm. and there's a door into animation and there's a door in, and if I can like, you know, be the person that goes, Hey, there's a door right here. Look, you know, if you want to open it and look inside and maybe before nobody saw that door, you know, the, the people that were in, involved with um, uh, illustrators and writers of the future, um, I'm sure, you know, lots did. But, you know, it, it, having me be there, I can just be like a chauffeur and, you know, hey, look, you know, come inside and see. And, and, and I think that can, you know, that cross-pollination can only help um, whether it's, you know, an aspiring illustrator that wants to enter the contest or, just somebody who like me when I was in school was just following the whole thing. And, you know, know, maybe they want to look me up and say, Oh, look, this guy does this. And I didn't even know you could do this. That's to me, that's a huge thing when you're starting out as an illustrator. Um, You're so like, especially, you know, when you're in training, whether it's in an 
actual school or nowadays you can learn online and yeah. you know kind of piecemeal whatever it is you really don't know this the common theme is that you don't know how the real world works you know how like lighting on a sphere works but that's different from what you can do with the talent you're developing when you get out there and like i had no idea that you could work as an artist in the film industry <laughs> and i was like going to school in pasadena or like you know the la area um and that seems like ridiculous to me now but i literally had i it was like this surprise to me that wait and i you know it's like i should have known like there were artists that worked on star wars and alien and you know all these movies and things and and i didn't even think about animation um my, I was all because of one guy that I knew, and he was the only one in my class that had it, had any interest in um, art for film. And he be, he and I became best friends, and he really like opened up the whole world of film design for me. And you know, if I can do that for someone else, that's like a huge gift because I mean that's become my career. Maybe it's you know somebody's career out there and, and they don't know it yet. That's great. Cause that's when we first started the contest, we only ever had our 12 winners, but now there are so many people entering the contest between the writer and illustrator. We have thousands of entries every quarter. And so it's, it's huge. So now that we've got the finalists and semi-finalists and honorable mentions categories, people now using that in their resumes successfully to get, sold get bought to get you know to, to advance their career you know i see more and more press releases coming out with books being written yeah i was a finalist i was a semi-finalist in writers of the future right. so because it's it's because it's blind judging and it's free interest so it's open to anybody anybody can there's no longer even when we first started you had to submit um hard copy in the mail and right. the you know this saying of um of a of a starving artist is not an un, unreal you know statement so now we have artists from all over the world submitting because they can upload it to as long as they've got access to wi-fi they can upload their three pieces of art and and submit and it goes to the judges and the judges have no idea you know nationality i mean you can sort of tell nationality because of the type of art that that it is but it's not a disqualifying thing it's just they don't know who the person is that's submitting. And so um, we have all types of people. Last quarter, the, the end of the first quarter, which we announced, all three writer winners and all three illustrator winners were female. That's never happened before. But it's just like whatever's the best of the best is what it is. But now because there's so many great you know, artists and writers submitting, just being able to be a, um, a finalist, a semi-finalist, honorable mention is noteworthy and gets people work because they know that that there is no you know okay i'll pay you 10 bucks and or i'll pay you an extra this much or whatever there's it's not a vanity contest at all it's strictly merit you know because you have no idea who you're looking at you, you, there's a number assigned to the to the art that you see and that's all that you get and we don't know who it is until the number gets back and take and gets transcribed onto the uh excel file that it's on there and they're oh, okay that's blah from where wherever it is so that's i mean that's that's really good so it, for what it does for paying forward to in the future of of whatever type of art you know as it manifests itself because what you're doing right now didn't exist at the start of writers of the future 
and illustrates the future. It's brand new. So anyway, it's um it's really great because your your addition to the to the competition is what you're saying is just what I was looking for when we said let's let's get them on board. So that's great. So for the anybody that doesn't know you, um, let's describe a little about like you said a little bit what you do, but so like some of your more known credits that people will will oh yeah he did that oh yeah because i go to your web page you go wow he did that he did that so what are some of the ones that you're the most proud of ah uh, wow um yeah like you said there is a there is a long list i think it's you know in terms of of like tv and and film i'm over 35 uh, projects now i started in in 90 or 96 on Disney's Hercules. That was my first job. I was before college, I was a paper boy with the San Jose Mercury News. And then I got a job at Disney. <laughs> so I was like this big days, like not saying that the being a paper boy can make you, you know, <laughs> it was a very odd like switch because I spent all my time basically learning to be an artist and uh, not doing summer jobs to buy a car and I didn't have a car, you know, yeah, didn't want to come. Um, so yeah, I started, uh, at Disney as a layout artist, which doesn't really exist anymore in the sense that it used to basically that job in all the 2d animated films was to be like a cameraman that drew everything the camera saw. Um, so, you know, if, there's a shot of me in this room and all this art stuff behind me with a microphone here. We would do a drawing of everything in the room. And even if the camera moved, all of the stuff that the camera covered then, and then, we, you know, things would also be broken into layers. So the microphone would be here and I could, you know, the animator could animate me going behind the microphone, but in front of this background. Right. So we would have to figure out where, you know, and each character would, would be in a different location in the stack. So, and then, and then also we would time all of the, the different levels to move at different speeds to give the sense that when there's a camera move that there was actually depth and parallax. Mm -hmm. um, so there were some very technical aspects to it, uh, as well as the artistic aspect of how to, having to draw everything the camera sees. And we even drew the characters in place, not animating them, but just like, you know, character A starts here, then moves over here, and then goes off the screen at this point. Uh, like A, B, C, we labeled them with letters. So I, I did that job for um, like Hercules, Mulan, uh, Emperor's New Groove, Treasure Planet, Chicken Little, and Enchanted. Um, but then I also, around Treasure, like, at the same time, I also did do design for the film. So like in Hercules, the underworld, the kind of the dark place where Hades lives, I designed a lot of the stuff in that. And, and so there's like little pieces of each film that I actually did design on my own because I always had this interest in doing that. And there was always a period in layout where we didn't have actual scenes to do kind of before things really got going in production. And I would, I would, I would do like 40, 50 drawings a week, like, cause I was so excited by that. And, and then I started to get more and more into that. By the time I got to Treasure Planet, um, I, I did so much designing on that, you know, maybe 
a third of the film is stuff that I've designed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially the beginning and the end, the the planet where Jim starts at, and then the, the alien planet. I did a lot of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, so that job is essentially kind of what I do now. And I've just sort of risen to the ranks of now that I'm, I'm the production designer on a film at Netflix now. And I'm the, uh, the, so that's sort of the head of the art department. Um, there's an art director and artist that, that work for me. Um, uh, and they all, we all sort of do the same thing really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of coordinate the look and style, um, uh, based on what the director wants or the executive producers want. Um, and in also in transitioning into that job, I got to learn how to, to work in color. Um, I had a brain tumor when I was in school and it was like messing up my vision and, and distorted my sense of color. Strangely enough, it's like a, it was pushing on my eye nerves. So it was like stepping on a hose. I always make the analogy mm-hmm. and I wasn't seeing enough red. So I put more red in my paintings, but then I could tell it wasn't right. And so I, in school I had a terrible time with color. Um, but it got taken out when I was on Hercules and, all that stuff came back. So, but then I had to kind of like start over and learn how to paint color. So that's been a fun kind of journey in my career to, to add that to what I do. Some of the other projects that, uh, I mean, I think Treasure Planet is my favorite that mm-hmm. I've worked on um, just because I love fantasy and sci-fi the most. And there's not that many animated films in the U S that are really kind of based around that or, or that's their yeah. theme. Um, mostly I end up doing kind of humans and animals, those kinds of things that, you know, you know, what subjects come out with from us um, animation companies. Um, but I also really enjoyed like working for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, uh, I worked on the fifth edition players handbook. I did some illustrators and there were illustrations in that. Mm-hmm. And um, also for Blizzard, um they had a trading card set or not set but um trading card game um back in the early 2000s i think it was and it was a physical printed thing as well and that was always kind of a really nice uh way to express my fantasy you know interest and and um I, i really love some of the illustrations i did for that as well now it's a digital thing. It's called Hearthstone, and it's a little bit more stylized. It's less sort of open than it was. Um, but uh, yeah, I think those are the, some of the things that I, I really worked on that I loved. That's amazing. And what's good too is because of what you're able to bring to it, and people just listening to this podcast right now, the aspiring artists are like, you know, you're. Some people have this, I guess, this concept like you're born and you've got a paintbrush coming out of your mouth you know and like, he was just born with it. it was just a natural you know but like i said you transitioned from a paper boy you know obviously you've been working on art for a long time to get to where that you could go from paper boy to right. for disney <laughs> well I, I took my first art class when i was a junior in high school um but i uh i i was you know, there was art in my family, like um, a great aunt of mine did a Sunset Magazine cover in May of like 1935, I think it was. And it's one of my favorite paintings. Um, and I, I never got to meet her, but yeah. um, 
her and then also another aunt, um, Juanita, who lived in Santa Rosa, uh, I, I did get to know her. And I think she was very much like me. Um, she made jewelry and did uh, oil paint. She was a California impressionist. We had an exhibition like after she died of all these amazing um, impressionist paintings she did. She was an illustrator. Um, she turned her house, basically it was a chicken coop when she bought it and she turned it into a place to live. And I love building things I've add on to my barn and I've built other barns and structures on my property. Hold, 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 hold. Barn? Most people think of house when you say living. So explain barn, please. Oh, uh, um, I have like in the north, north area of Los Angeles, there's a, um, uh, a town called Santa Clarita. Uh, that's growing really rapidly right now, but used to be very rural. And um, I bought a piece of property up here um, maybe 17 years ago. Uh -huh. um, that was essentially, I think what it is, and, and I'm in the house part right now. Um, I think the idea was that it was a like a mini ranch for someone who lived in LA that could kind of have this like, let's go to the ranch on the weekend thing. And when I do the remodeling here, the, the uh, like inside the closet behind me, that's a built in, there's this like hilarious log cabin, like 1950s wallpaper. <laughs> and it's like, it's like cartoon scenes of like little kids in plaid shirts with axes and people riding horses. And it was clear, like there was marketing all throughout this house. It was, it was very funny. So I think this whole neighborhood was was just meant to be kind of like a horse playland or something. So I have three acres of land behind me and, and then a river at the end of it. And then the horse barn kind of in the middle um, that is, I don't have horses. So for me, it's like a big um, tool shop. Um, I have a blacksmithing um, or forge there and I've got uh, milling machines and, and you know, table saws and band saws and lathes and things like that. Uh, so I, I, you know, I build uh, frames for, you know, for my paintings. I, I, you know, I do dimensional sculpture for, um, for film projects. Did you build Death Stars for Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. I think I was like four though. So that wouldn't <laughs> have been possible. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the last film I worked on, um, I 3D printed. Um, three of the uh, the characters um, and cleaned them all up, painted them, and then built like accessories. Like you know, they have little accessories. I can't really say what they are yet because the film's not out. But and bases, and then um, built electronics into them so that parts of them that glow in the film were, would glow when you saw the maquette. And it was part of selling the film to distributors. Um, so they got to see something physical in this, you know, this glass case along with some of the concept art and it helped the, the film stand out. Uh, and then for, uh, I'm also doing a sculpture as a true gift for a film that I just finished a few weeks ago. And, and I have casting facilities out in the barn, you know, pressure pots and vacuum chambers and, and things like that, uh, that help you make really good, um, castings. Um, so that's another, you know, that's a sort of a practical application. You know, I make some, some of the other stuff, you know, the, like the blacksmithing stuff, 
I got into that because I want to make, um, I have designs for, for lanterns and, and door handles and, and things like that I want to do around the house. But also I make, you know, I'll collect railroad spikes along the railroad up here uh, along the tracks. And, and, you know, I made knives for my family, for my cousins or a tomahawk or, you know, they make, it's like great for, for gifts yeah, um, as well. So that's crazy. That's great. So that's that. Thank you for the clarification of barn. <laughs> it's a big space that you can do whatever you want with this. I mean, I guess I could move all the tools out and put some horses in there whenever I wanted to, but, um, it's probably money for you in, in the tools. Yeah, just you know enough maintenance already. Like I don't, and I've got a cat and a fish tank. That's enough animals for me. And, and most of my neighbors have horses. If I really want to ride a horse, I can just you know go over there and say, hey, hey like, you know, because most of the time they just sit there. They don't really, yeah, you know, they don't really use or or do much with them unless they're training them. So, okay. <laughs> now, for a person that's that's starting off in um, in art. You know, the, there's the idea of like, I want to specialize, I, I do illustration, I do oil, I want to do this. Like in terms of diversification, being able to just uh, do several things versus specializing one thing and then expanding from there. Do you have any particular thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big area of semi-controversy. Um, what I see happen, you know, and I go to a lot of conventions and do portfolio reviews for people and... Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of teaching, so I, you know, I hear this from my students too. Um, and I think there, there is a lot of maybe misconception going around that you need to really focus on something and, and be very narrow in your, in, in your portfolio and your presentation of who you are and so forth. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from. HR and like, you know, in terms of like animation companies or, or business people at, at, uh, publishers or, you know, art directors, uh, uh, less so from art directors. Um, I think it's a misconception because it's, it's sort of an over oversimplification. Um, yes. You know, if there's something that you really, you know, if you want to work for blizzard and work on their Diablo game, you probably shouldn't be doing big oil paintings of flowers. It does, it does show skill. I, you know, and an art director can interpret skill and be able to tell if somebody can do what they want them to do. Um, but, you know, I understand the, you know, the desire to think, well, I should never paint that. I guess what I want to really say is that, you can and probably should be diverse in the end, but then also have something in the vein of what the person that wants to hire you is doing. Um, so like, for example, my portfolio, I had some fantasy artwork in there that wasn't exactly like what Blizzard did, but they could see that, oh, okay, well, the stuff that he did for D&D is, is easily translatable to to blizzard so i think it's it's being able to show that there's some translation there and then the thing that i run into a lot of times when people say 
you know, at least when thinking about animation, is they say, well, you have to decide whether you're going to work for a, a 2D animated TV show or a feature, or and then you have to pick a style. And I see a lot of people that have that. They're too narrow in their in their focus, and it doesn't allow them, you know, because a lot of people that are hiring artists aren't art directors or other artists, you know, there's an HR department that's looking at all these portfolios. They do need to see something that's sort of similar to what they're doing. So that's why I say to, to, to the students that I have, I look at what, what they've done. Maybe they've done a lot of um, snow scenes and a lot of um, fantasy because they live in kind of a Northern climate and that's sort of what they're used to. And I tell them, we'll do something that's like, you know, tropical and sci-fi like that you haven't done and i think people think that oh well that's not who i am because they haven't done that yet and i'm here to tell you no matter what you do you can't help but do it the way that you're going to do it it'll come out in your style um and that'll help because you don't know all the projects that are out there and the needs that companies have for illustration and there's going to be a tropical sci-fi, you know, avatar is going to call you next week if they see your illustration. You know, maybe not exactly that, but, you know, that's an example of sort of tropical sci-fi. Um, but if, you, if that wasn't in your portfolio, they'd be like, especially somebody who's a business major, works in HR, like, well, this, you know, this person we just can't, they're nowhere near what we want because they see snow scenes. And which is, as an artist, I think is kind of, you know, it's sad because I would be able to see the skill in the art and know that somebody could do Avatar, say. But that's not always the case. You don't always have artists looking at your work. Um, you have, you know, in, in the sense of, in, in the book publishing world, you have writers and they're going to need to see something that's fairly close to what like they're, I mean, they're a kind of a close equivalent to a business major in a, in a lot of cases, not all cases, of course, uh, into a business major that works in HR at Warner Brothers or something like that. They're going to have some knowledge of art, but not the kind of knowledge that someone like I have. And you might get passed over because, you know, maybe it would just, you know, all you'd have to do would be like do a painting of a tiki bar and that'd be enough. For the book. Oh, they can do tropical. Like, you know, and so, that's why I always say be diverse. Um, don't be so diverse that people don't know what you're doing. Uh, don't try to do, you know, the Simpsons and then try to do Frazetta. And, you know, that, that's a little bit too wide. Um, but I, I can say that I've done, you know, things in that diverse of a range in my career as well. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not impossible, but that would make kind of a, too too wide of a portfolio i think um i hope that sort yeah. of answers that question I, I feel like i was kind of all over the place but uh, it, it does help yeah it does help now the other question on this is as an art director you know um and before that as an artist the concept of um i've got to be myself i've got to be true to myself i got to have my my artistic integrity says right. i don't do what the art director is saying any uh, tips or advice on that? Um, yeah, well, that doesn't really usually work. <laughs> um, 
unless you're higher, you know, that, that's the thing is like, there are times for, you know, artistic integrity and there are times for doing what the art director or the director asks for. Um, for example, you know, taking Treasure Planet as an example, uh, or even just working for those directors, Ron and John, uh, Ron Clements and John Musker, uh, who directed many Disney films. I think I got to know them the best as directors. And on Treasure Planet, there were sequences where they had spe a specific idea of what they wanted visually, or also the story defined certain parameters um, of what this thing had to be. It's like, so the Benbow Inn is this place where Jim's mother lives, and I guess Jim lives there too. And it's like a it's like a pub, a space pub. And uh, there were some designers that designed, you know, a building on the, the top of a tall spire and, you know, uh, some that designed it flat on the ground and, you know, in all different kind of permutations. And not all of them necessarily, like the one on a spire had this idea of, of you know, there was like a pulley that would go up to the top and, and you take an elevator and things like that. and the thing is there, there were things in the story that had to happen. They had to w ride up in a carriage and you can't really do that. And you can't take three minutes of time for them to get into an elevator and la la la, you know, go all the way up to the top. And so you, you do have to think of the parameters that exist and work within those, mm -hmm. you know, and, and maybe they, they had also said that they wanted something that was kind of English half timbered and 30% sci-fi there were these other kind of overarching, you know, ideas. And so an example like that had, you know, there was, there was like two sides of a box, you know, I, I couldn't go off in these two directions, but then the other two directions were completely open. So knowing where your, your borders are and where, where your fences are is really important. And, you know, if you can't, follow that they can't really use your artwork they you know and they and they'll likely not hire you again because they'll think well xyz person doesn't really listen to what we want but so th that's one situation and then on the other hand there you know when we got to um the the planet surface and the act three of treasure planet um they had no ranja had no direction at all you know they they would say we want it to look alien like and that's huge like there there's no sides to the box really so within one project and we're working for one pair of directors there was a variety of experiences i mean i think there were also areas where they were super specific and like this room has to have you know three bottles of bubbling green liquid in it and, and there has to be wainscoting and the floor is red and you know like most of the walls were already built kind of like in their mind and going outside the box would just be silly and you know you just be throwing artwork over your shoulder because they can't use it um so there are times to be you know have your artistic integrity and not and i think you have to think of it that way is like, yeah, run with it when you're given the free reign to do it, but work within the parameters if you're given parameters. Okay. 
That makes sense. Good. So any particular tips that you've got other than what we've already talked about for the aspiring artist? Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, again, that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a broad, broad subject as well. You know, I, I think kind of like with my students and the people that I meet uh, and do portfolio interviews for, I would say to, you know, most importantly is to be yourself and to do do the work that you love do the thing that inspires you like you know joseph campbell follow your bliss you know like it if it makes you happy if the thing that you're you're working on and you're focusing on and thinking about and painting makes you happy mm -hmm. that's going to lead you to your best work you know it, it, trying to to do something else that somebody else has told you to do or follow a career path or a, a genre of illustration that you think you should do, whether it's your teacher or your parents or something, some idea that you're getting from the industry, those things aren't going to pan out for you. They're not going to, you know, like I say, you're not going to do your best work doing them. And yeah, sometimes I guess you have to, you know, we all have to make money somehow. And there are times where, you know, you do, you know, you work on a project that's not your absolute favorite, but you still do the best job that you can. And, you know, and maybe on the side, you're doing an oil painting of your own that fulfills that yearning or, you know, the, the artistic integrity that you need to get out. And, and that's something that I, I can say is true is that as an artist, there's, <clears throat> there's always this it feels like we're this membrane that ideas are pushing against and always trying to get out. And I have way too many ideas, you know, way, way more ideas than I can ever execute in, you know, in any way. And, you know, you do need to always be listening to those ideas and, and doing something about them, even if it isn't, even if it doesn't apply to the, the job that you're doing now, and that I mean that's also why I say if 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 it doesn't necessarily apply to the job you're doing right now, that's okay sometimes. And but you know, but always keep in mind do the absolute best that you can in that job with the skills that you've got as well, um, because you don't want to, you know, uh, it's a it's a skill that you have to develop. I do remember consciously developing this skill when I first started at Disney, you know, uh, I think out of school where we all, we don't really know how the world really works when you actually get a job. And, 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 and I think, especially when it comes to like, we had just talked about the, you know, the artistic integrity thing, when you're in school, you, you really, really much can kind of do whatever you want. There's nobody that you're not going to get kicked out of school for, you know, painting dragons, even though your teacher doesn't like dragons, they might lower your grade, but you know, I, grades doesn't really matter in, in, in art. It's, it's like, what does the art look like? So, but when you get a job and, and they're like, well, there are no dragons in this movie or, or in this, in this book. And how come you gave me a dragon? You know, there's something, there's, there's something, there's a, uh, something that happens there. That's not quite a, a, a match. And I do remember, you know, I think when I got to Disney, I felt like, well, I don't like the characters. I'm going to redesign the characters. And, you know, that, that wasn't my job at all. But I just had this, like, 
you know, all of that energy went into everything that I did. And I slowly learned to realize, okay, my vision doesn't always apply to absolutely everything. And sometimes I need to back off of it. And if I want to express my vision somewhere, I can do that somewhere else. I can do it at home on my own time or you know, maybe I've got an illustration job that I would do on the weekends that really is like what I really want to do. And so learning that kind of self-discipline of when to really crank up your own sort of imagination and, and, and integrity, artistic integrity, like you say, uh, and then when to, when to, um, really help funnel and sort of help blossom the vision of the writer or the director um, uh, of the project that you're working on. Uh, it's, it's good to know what, when to do those things and when not to. Uh, and that really is a skill that you have to develop. Good. Good. Well, thank you. For somebody to find you, where, how do they find you on uh, social or web? Um, I'm fairly easy to find at this point. I'm just typing Craig Elliott or Craig Elliott Art. I'm usually kind of at the top of those. That's actually me. Um, but I have a website, CraigElliottGallery.com. Um, I'm Craig Elliott Gallery on Instagram. Um, and then I think also on Facebook. But again, yeah, I'm fairly easy to find. Uh, ArtStation, I do have a, a pretty big presence on ArtStation as well. I think I'm just Craig Elliott on that, or Craig underscore Elliott. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, thank you very much, Craig. And uh, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast and the Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Craig. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>